Letter Twelve of Clarissa Harlow, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Clarissa Harlow, Volume Three by Samuel Richardson, Chapter Twelve. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, in continuation. I obliged the dear creature highly, I could perceive, by bringing Mrs. Graham to attend her, and to suffer that good woman's recommendations of lodgings to take place, on her refusal to go to the lawn. She must believe all my views to be honourable, when I had provided for her no particular lodgings, leaving it to her choice, whether she would go to M. Hall, to the Lawn, to London, or to either of the dowagers of my family. She was visibly pleased with my motion of putting Mrs. Graham into the chase with her, and riding on horseback myself. Some people would have been apprehensive of what might pass between her and Mrs. Graham, but as all my relations either know or believe the justice of my intentions by her, I was in no pain on that account, and she the less, and the less as I have always been above hypocrisy, or wishing to be thought better than I am. And indeed, what occasion has a man to be a hypocrite, who has hitherto found his views upon the sex better answered for his being known to be a rake? Why, even my beloved here denied not to correspond with me, though her friends had taught her to think me a libertine, who then would be trying a new and worse character? And then Mrs. Graham is a pious matron, and would not have been biased against truth on any consideration. She used formerly, while there were any hopes of my reformation, to pray for me. She hardly continues the good custom, I doubt, for her worthy lord makes no scruple occasionally to rave against me to man, woman, and child as they come in his way. He is very undutiful, as thou knowest. Surely I may say so, since all duties are reciprocal. But for Mrs. Graham, poor woman, when my lord has the gout, and is at the lawn, and the chaplain not to be found, she prays by him, or reads a chapter to him in the Bible, or some other good book. Was it not therefore right to introduce such a good sort of woman to the dear creature? and to leave them without reserve to their own talk. And very busy in talk I saw they were as they rode, and I felt it too, for most charmingly glowed my cheeks. I hope I shall be honest, I once more say, but as we frail mortals are not our own masters at all times, I must endeavour to keep the dear creature unapprehensive, until I can get her to our acquaintances in London, or to some other safe place there. Should I, in the interim, give her the least room for suspicion, or offer to restrain her, she can make her appeals to strangers, and call the country in upon me, and perhaps throw herself upon her relations on their own terms. And were I now to lose her, how unworthy should I be to be the prince and leader of such a confraternity as ours! how unable to look up among men, or to show my face among women. As things at present stand, she dare not own that 
she went off against her own consent, and I have taken care to make all the implacables believe that she escaped with it. She has received an answer from Miss Howe to the letter written to her from St. Albans. Whatever are the contents, I know not, but she was drowned in tears on perusal of it, and I am the sufferer. Miss Howe is a charming creature, too, but confoundedly smart and spiritful. I am a good deal afraid of her. Her mother can hardly keep her in. I must continue to play off old Anthony, by my honest Joseph, upon that mother in order to manage that daughter, and oblige my beloved to an absolute dependence upon myself. Mrs. Howe is impatient of contradiction. So is Miss, a young lady who is sensible that she has all the materials requisites herself to be under maternal control, fine ground for a man of intrigue to build upon, a mother over-notable, a daughter over-sensible, and their hickman who is over-neither, but merely a passive, only that I have an object still more desirable. Yet how unhappy that these two young ladies lived so near each other and are so well acquainted, else how charmingly might I have managed them both. But one man cannot have every woman worth having. Pity, though, when the man is such a very clever fellow. End of Letter 12